From the creators of Travel and Report blog, Podróżnicy, this is Spotlight. Hello, my name is Jakub Gurnicki and this is Spotlight Podcast in which we try to discuss things which connect to technology and society. A couple of weeks back in Warsaw, there was a great event organized by Gazeta Wyborcza, by Agora, its publisher, also by Gen, the Global Editors Networks. I was happy to help them out. And we also invited a great guy called Derek Watkins. He came straight from New York, where he works for the New York Times in their active team. So when he confirmed that he is coming, I already knew he didn't, that I want to invite him and have him here on the show. Because, you know, New York Times Interactive is a team where we all should just look at them and learn from them. And I wanted to use this opportunity ahead with him to understand better how they work, where do they get their inspiration, and how can we all benefit from it. So here we go. I'm sitting here with Derek Watkins from the New York Times. I'm very happy to have you on the Spotlight podcast. Hello. Hello. We are sitting exactly in the headquarters of Gazeta Wyborcza, of the Agora Publishing House, who is organizing for the second time Editor's Lab with the partnership with, uh, with Jen. Editor's Lab is a special event held worldwide where, where journalists meet to hack, to work on various uh, new solutions which can help them in their uh, daily work. And this year's topic is election, elections basically, because we have two upcoming elections in Poland and we will soon, in a couple hours, hear what, what the team were working on, and you will have a presentation yeah. shortly. So if you could tell me, like, what do you do on your daily basis in New York Times so we can get a better background of your work? Yeah, sure. So my job title is graphics editor, mm-hmm. which I think, since I've been here, maybe there's been a little bit of confusion because it's kind of a strange job title, I think. Um, Why so? So it's, well, it's, I, I think some people uh, kind of get the impression that it's like graphic design mm-hmm. or like page layout, which um, we do a lot of design in our job, but that's not exactly it. So basically my job is to be like a visual journalist, right? So in the same way that a traditional reporter would uh, call people and interview people and uh, get quotes and write their story, I call people and sometimes interview people, but also sometimes interview data sets, you know, get data sets and analyze them and stuff like that to use as sources for our stories. It's just that our stories end up being told like visually, right? So that could be anything from like a map, uh, an interactive online map or something, or like a very kind of complex chart or something like this explaining like the economy or something, or like an interactive uh, multimedia piece that kind of integrates written text with uh, video and 3D renderings and stuff like this. Do you look for stories or do stories find you or do someone approaches you from the team and say like, hey, I have this data set or I'm working on this, can you help me out? Yeah, my team is in the newsroom. So we, we are in the newsroom with all of the other, you know, the... Uh, Metro desk. Can you help me picture it? Desk. Is it like one big room and you're yeah, sitting all together? It's, it's or? The, so the newsroom, uh, the New York Times is in a tower in midtown Manhattan. And so the newsroom is this kind of larger area at the bottom of the tower. So it's the second, third, and fourth floors. And mm-hmm. so it's all this kind of <laughs> integrated open. Yeah, it's quite a big newsroom. So um, my team by itself is 40 people or so. The so, interactive team. Yeah, the uh, wow. graphics, the graphics desk. So we're quite integrated in the newsroom, you know, we're part of the newsroom there. And so I would say probably about half of our stories come 
are basically like pitched to us from other places in the newsroom where you know a reporter is working on a story and they know that there's an interesting data set or something associated with it. Do they have like meetings, regular meetings, or do they just drag you on the corridor and say like, um, hey, Derek, I have no, a story? No, it's, it's usually they're pitching this like okay. to my bosses, right? Okay. So my bosses, uh, Steve Duenas is our director, and then Archie Say and Matt Erickson are the deputy directors. And they kind of serve as the filter um, between us and the rest of the newsroom to an extent. Like, we certainly talk to reporters all the time, but if, they're pit if somebody else is pitching a story, it's usually pitched to them, and they then kind of make the decision whether the, the data or the story is kind of suitable for a visual treatment. Because sometimes, you know, in the same way that maybe I don't know the best uh, topics to write about and the best way to structure a written piece about something, people who don't work with visuals, you know, very often don't necessarily always have kind of the the understanding know the or? best way to approach something. Yeah, so we kind of like work with them to make that call. So once the story is approved, what what happens next? Basically, we just go to work. I mean, I guess it kind of depends on what kind of story kind of it is. <laughs> yeah, what kind of story it is, what the what the deadline is. Um, you know, like a story that's very data centric where you have one data set and you know what's interesting about it might have a very different process from um, kind of something that's that it's less nailed down exactly what we want to do. So in the former case, like our job would be mostly like cleaning up the data and doing the very like technical work of getting it ready and then kind of visualizing it, choosing the best visual form for it. Whereas in the other case where we're not entirely sure what we want to do with the data or it's not clear what data we're going to use, a lot of the work might be kind of on the back end of doing the reporting to, you know, call research labs that work with similar data sets and talk to them about like what's out there and what pitfalls we should look out for and stuff like that. That's kind of an entire separate step prior to starting to think design-wise about like how we want to visualize things. Do you, rem do you like remember this. your first story, which you did at New York Times? Yeah, it was when I was an intern in summer of 2012 and... It was pretty soon after I got there, I was put on a, uh, there was a wildfire in the, in the Rocky Mountains near, uh, in Colorado, near uh, Denver, I believe. Yeah, and it was just a wildfire that was kind of burning, and so I did a small map that I had in the print paper about kind of the homes that were threatened. And then we did a small interactive where you could kind of had a slider that you could see how the fire had spread over like a week's time or something like that. So... So that's characteristic of still like the kind of work that we how do. Much time like, did you take, how much time did you need to do it? I believe that one was in one day. I was working with yeah, another. Yeah, I was working with another editor there since I was still an intern. I was still learning everything. Um, but something like that, typically, we will turn around in one day, especially if it's breaking news. In the past, we've we were much more. Not much more, but in the past we were more beholden to uh, print deadlines, and so we were in a certain mode of working where we try to finish with the day's work by like eight or nine at night at the latest. Now so it's, it's ready for print. Okay. Yeah, so because there's print deadlines mm -hmm. to put it in, physically get it into the paper the next day. Now that's less of an issue with with a heavier focus on digital. So it's kind of changed our work habits to an extent because there's no reason to wait until eight or nine to finish something. If you can have it finished in the afternoon, then it's better if something's breaking because we can get it online faster. One day is pretty short, but and what was your longest project? Oh, I don't know. Um, Still ongoing? <laughs> no, no. I think probably the project that I was on, off and on for the longest amount of time was a story we did on a the South China Sea. It was called A Game of Shark and Minnow. And so it was this uh, 
very kind of integrated article integrated with multimedia and maps and it's kind of this very complicated story and we worked a lot with the reporter and photographer to integrate it well i was on that off and on for probably two or three months okay. although um but it was published in the end Yeah, yeah, it was published. And it's it's hard to say exactly how much time I spent on that because during those two or three months, you know, like we have to deal with the news as well. And so if I have the deadline for that project, that's three months from now and so something else happens. So project which was not like, you know, it didn't have so many news. Uh, right, yeah. It. Yeah, basically um, the reporter and the photographer had pitched the story just because it was interesting. It was about a... It's about basically the islands in the South China Sea and the kind of geopolitical tensions between China and the Philippines and the other countries around that sea um, regarding many, ownership of the islands. How many of your stories are more news-related and how many are just, as you said, interesting? I don't know. Probably, it's, it's probably close to half and half. Okay. Maybe, maybe less than half. We call them enterprise stories, right? Stories that the reporters and us and the paper kind of finds interesting and useful for readers to know, but they're not, not necessarily connected to an event that happened, right? We do a fair number of those, but those tend to be the longer-term projects okay, that we're so on. Yeah. Let's stick to them. What other stories have you worked on, I mean, in regard to those enterprise stories? Let me see. We had... I don't know if this is the best example because it is attached a little bit to an event, but um, we did one interactive called Reshaping New York um, where we basically did a three-dimensional render, this giant map of New York City, and kind of annotated it and colored buildings. And the point of it was to show how the city had changed over the 12 years of Mayor Michael Bloomberg's tenure as mayor. He was what mayor can, for 12 years. What, what kind of technology did, did you use there? We used a lot of GIS software, mm -hmm. geographic information systems, which is uh, Basically, like, like it's like yeah, like computer science mm -hmm. for like mappers, mm -hmm. right? We used a lot of that software kind of in the background to prepare the data, but then we also we passed off that data to um, some specialists in like 3D rendering and animation in the department, and I think Maya and 3D Studio Max were the two programs that they used, um, which are typically programs used for like uh, video game design or like uh, fi the film industry uses those programs quite a bit. So those were like the two main things aside from uh, like web technologies used to actually implement it, which would be like HTML and JavaScript and How stuff like that. How many people worked on it? Probably by the end of it, that one was probably six or so. It's hard to say because sometimes at the end of a project, whoever's available will start to kind of pitch in. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, we're a very collaborative desk. I think that's one thing that differentiates us from a lot of other desks elsewhere and in our own newsroom. We work together like quite a bit. So. When you have a new story, is it like when you look for technologies, is it that you reach out while working on the story because you have this cool idea and you're looking for some new new thing, new piece of code or whatever to which will allow you to visualize it the way you want it? Or do you also regularly just are in the lookout for some new stuff which is there? Yeah, you mean uh, like the new technologies yeah, yeah. that we use? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, there are some things that are just like really cool and we would really like to like use to it more. I want right? to use it, I want to yeah, use it. Yeah, so for like the last year or two webgl has been like that for us which is like technology for rendering 3d in mm -hmm. the browser not as video but as a model that you can interact with right we've been wanting to do something with that for several years just because it's a really like cool technology that opens up a lot of doors for explaining things to readers 
but we've only recently started using it because it's been only recently that uh, browser support for it has gotten to the point that enough people can actually view those. But that's probably kind of an outlier, just a technology that's like so cool that we know about it and want to use it. Um, typically, we try, <laughs> it's, it's hard to like not get excited about stuff, but we try to keep our kind of explorations we try to give them a purpose, right? Where it's like, we're not just using technology because we think it's really cool or because it's flashy. It's because it does a better job of explaining things to readers. Although, like, of course, we also take opportunities to try new things, typically with kind of more novel stories, sports stories. We try, like, new technology on a lot because they're a little bit softer so that we kind of Why are prepared to use stuff. Why in sports? Well, just because, like... It's less important that somebody understands like the details of like the NFL draft than it is that a reader understands like what ISIS in, is doing in Iraq, right? Like there's just it's kind of like two different levels. It's not that it's not like interesting or important, but it provides us kind of an, an opportunity to uh, try new technologies, but that like the risk isn't really that great if we maybe stumble and fail to like be as clear as we meant to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just going back for a second, uh, the Bloomberg story. How much time did you need to make? It from the idea to publishing? Oh, this is hard. I'm used to looking ahead and now I'm trying to think back to, <laughs> I think probably about a month or two. Okay. Don't, don't hold me to that, but I think that's close. Before we look ahead, how do you then, after publishing, judge your stories? Like, do you ask people for feedback? Yeah. Like, was this useful? Did you, did you understand it? Or what did you understand by this visual? Or do you also judge that the technological layer of it whether the, the tech stuff you used was okay or maybe some people had issues while trying to, I don't know, open WebGL and so on and so on. Yeah. Um, so traditionally for a lot of that, I'm saying traditionally like thinking back to when we like mostly did print okay. graphics in well, the when paper. When did you stop doing primarily print? Uh, we still do print graphics yeah. all the time. But I think the shift really heavily towards digital has probably been the last like three or four years. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so we... Uh, Traditionally, when we when we did more print graphics, I think a lot of that judgment as to like whether graphics is successful or not came from our editors. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the the reason why in our job title there's the word like graphics editor, right? We actually do do quite a bit of editing to each other, and our higher ups edit us to try to kind of judge and cull and like prune a graphic until it's like very clear the point that it's making, right? Um, in the past, it was difficult to really get any sort of feedback from readers unless they wrote in occasionally. And that's still the case to an extent. It's still difficult for us to to judge things unless, you know, a reader writes in or uh, lets us know directly. To some extent, social media has allowed us to kind of see how people you, are receiving because our Because stories are shared. Yeah. yeah, things are shared and we can like see, you know, if a ton of people are online, like I didn't understand this, it's too complicated, then we probably dropped the ball. But that can be difficult to rely on because like it's Twitter and people like say crazy things all the time, right? So it's hard to I mean, know. You could look for on, trends, but yeah, I guess yeah, the point. Yeah, but, but on the other end of things, I guess, uh, not what people are saying, but, but in terms of like technology for tracking how users interact with stuff. There has been a lot of progress lately on that end where like we can, you know, set up events to know how often people get to the third page of the graphic or like how many people see this button to click or something like that. Do you also track those uh, clicks if you have more interactive stories or where do you lose people? 
What's the average? Yeah, um, we're getting better at that. We don't do it all the time, and there are like some people who are more interested in it than others in the department. But I, I think it's it's like a general trend. We don't really do any sort of A/B testing on our on our graphics, okay. at least, where we kind of will make two versions and see which well, one performs better. if you spend a month better. or two yeah. on a story, then it would be crazy to have right. Just yeah, crazy. so um, we don't do that as much, but. Yeah, it's it's difficult. It's a problem, and it's like something we're always kind of aware of is trying to make trying to see things from the reader's perspective and to understand how they might interact with it. So I think the most the most useful resource we have in that regard is like the people that have been doing this for a long time in the department. But in general, I think New York Times is doing more and more interactive stories. I mean, every year I see this. There is this like a summary of what happened. When, I mean, like the list of all the interactive stories yeah. which were done, small, big, enterprise, whatever. Yeah. And it's getting it's more and more every year. So I guess you must be happy with the way people are getting it and what you are able to accomplish. Yeah, I mm -hmm. think so. And I think... Um, I don't know if your listeners will be familiar with Snowfall, but that was one of the first... It was a story about it's this avalanche. Yeah, 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 it was a story about this avalanche in Washington State that it was kind of the first story that we gave this really deep interactive treatment to as an article. And I think that within the newsroom really kind of helped us to have a leg to stand on when we try to make an argument for giving a treatment I like that Snowfall to a story. I think Snowfall also got Pulitzer, yes? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. John Branch won mm -hmm. the Pulitzer for that story. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, that so that's that's helped us to have more support within the newsroom that people so kind of know that we like usually won't mess things up and we'll do an okay job of you know mm -hmm. making something interactive. Yeah, Snowfall is kind of an iconic thing because it was also like one of the first interactive stories done by any traditional media outlet, and New York Times was about to head into this more digital era of it. And later on, I mean, 40 people in their interactive team, that's quite a lot. We were sitting in one of the biggest newspapers in Poland, and I don't think that they have so many people in the interactive I mean, scale is also a little bit different. Right. The U.S. is bigger and so on. But still, this is quite amazing. What was your most exciting story for you, which you did, even if it was small, but like, what uh, you really recall with like, my smile? In, in terms of uh, being happy with the yeah, output? Yeah, yeah. That's difficult. Too, too I don't many? know. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm I'm usually disappointed in the. Why? I don't know. I think we're. I think our department kind of attracts perfectionists, and we're probably a little too hard on ourselves. Especially so, part of it is after looking at a story for two months, you're kind of sick of it. So you're like, this is terrible. <laughs> so where do you compromise with the tag, with the deadline, or? Oh yeah, it's huh? totally. It's almost always about deadlines, mm. right? Like you do as much as you can in the but, time that you, you know. Have. On the other hand, two months for an interactive story, I would say that's quite a yeah, luxury time frame. It, it gets to be a little dangerous when we have that much time because we're so used to working under deadlines. I think that sometimes we will try a bunch. Yeah, we'll try a bunch of different things like so over and time. over. Yeah, and we're yeah. like, we've got two months. We can try so many things, which is good. Like it, it makes the graphic better in the end. But uh, I think sometimes mm. we get get ahead of ourselves with. <laughs> not using our time yeah, in the best imagine. way. No, but I, I, I think my, uh, my favorite graphic might, is probably one of the uh, kind of static maps that I've done. That lately, we've done maps for uh, tracking a story about the outbreak of Ebola and also stories about Boko Haram. And those were both static maps, but I felt like uh, they were pretty rich and did a good job of You know, because them. I found you because of the story you did about... It was about ISIS, actually. It was about ISIS yeah. and taking over. There was satellite imagery. Yeah, of we, the you, river. I know what you're talking about. We used it was a story about basically how 
ISIS spread along the Tigris and Euphrates yeah, exactly. rivers in, in Iraq. And it was a really cool idea. I mean, which you, know, you, you took the river, so it was like the story was, was going from the top to the bottom. Yeah. And it just stuff was, we could see the story. And it was, about, it was also getting from point A to basically to around Baghdad. Yeah. And I mean, we are talking all about interactive digital things. How, how, how big part of this work is actually, like, let's say, offline work? I mean, do you just, you know... Is what work? Like offline work, where you actually oh, think, where you do sketches, sure. where like, how do you come up with the yeah. idea? Like, um, some of the interactive stories which I find very interesting are like based on a like very simple idea. Right. Like, it's like, okay, we are sh- we're showing from getting, how to get from point A to Baghdad and oh, by the way, there is this big river yeah. here and we can use it as a, our, basically our, our narrative. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's kind of an iterative process, right? Like we will we will think of an idea and maybe mock it up or try it, then it doesn't look good and we'll go back to the whiteboard or a piece of paper and sketch out a different idea. But it, in that specific case, we were uh, I remember when I saw that idea being formed, it was um we were in a kind of meeting about like five or six of us to talk about our coverage of ISIS and kind of what sort of deeper dives we could do to help explain to readers what that story did, basically, uh, like the, the process by which they came to control as much of, ba- or of Iraq as they did. Um, we were in this meeting, and Jeremy Ashkenaz, who really kind of spearheaded that story, and who interestingly also is like an excellent uh, JavaScript developer, he's like world-class JavaScript developer, he, he's sitting next to me, and uh, I saw him start to basically sketch out almost exactly what the thing looks like in the end, like in okay. his notebook. So it was like in that case, it was just something that Piece of hit him. He just realized that the rivers are very straight, web pages are very tall and straight, and this is a way that we could like frame this story. Right? Plus you can connect yeah. it to the chronology of the events, which yeah. is also a nice... Uh, right, and I, the, the reason also that I mentioned that Jeremy is such a good JavaScript developer is because I think it's an interesting thing about our department, which is that... Uh, a JavaScript developer has the opportunity to, you know, sketch something out and design the full idea for a piece. Or uh, recently, he also did like a really in-depth reporting on this story about um, Israeli settlements in the West Bank. Do so you have any reporting background? No, I don't. There's a few people in our department who do, and there's a few people who really largely focus on reporting. But that's been something that I've had to really struggle with and try to learn how to do since since getting here. That's been like a gap that I've needed to fill. What are other backgrounds of the people? I mean, out of those 40 people, you said JavaScript developers, yeah. graphic designers. Yeah, so we have like programmers like Jeremy and Mike Bostock, who is the inventor of D3, which is a data visualization library. Those two are, you know, very heavily like kind of come from a JavaScript programming background. We also have... We've got a few people with backgrounds in geography, including myself, like studying uh, geography and maps, about four people with that background. Uh, A couple of people who have graduate degrees in statistics who focus really heavily on, you know, statistical analysis and kind of really detailed data analysis type stuff. And then we have illustrators, people who do 3D renderings and motion graphics. We have like a former architect who's really good, obviously, at doing like 3D renderings of buildings <laughs> wow. and stuff like that. So it's really like... You can make almost everything. Yeah, it's kind of a... It's a, it's a very kind of a diverse group of people, which and is a You are not structured like in a... You are, I guess you are very flexible. Team, uh, right? Yeah, we're pretty flexible. We It's, it's a pretty kind of Project-based project based uh, yeah yeah very project based and we're encouraged to kind of 
talk to each other and if I have an idea for something that has to do with you know statistics but I don't know anything about statistics I, I'm encouraged to you know go talk to somebody who does and try to see if it's a good idea or not so I think that's one of the strengths of the department is that we're very kind of collaborative and work with each other to play off of each other's strengths how many ideas comes specifically from the interactive team probably about half okay. yeah it's what whether that is uh the the directors of the department like identifying something that's important for us to cover and telling us to do it or one of us coming up with an idea and uh pitching it to them and, and trying to get it published let's focus for a while and just uh, for a second i know that you you didn't work on all of them but if you could tell me a little bit about the stuff which you've done related to elections I've opened the, the links, which I'll be also add all the links to the description of the podcast so people can find the stories we are talking to. Any of those stories which you find particularly interesting? 512 paths to the White House. Yeah. Huh? So, um, yeah, I didn't did not work on this, but I can talk about it a bit. Um, Go on. This was uh, Sean Carter and Mike Bostock did this. They're both editors in our San Francisco bureau. So we have four graphics editors who work out of San Francisco. They are two of them. And uh, like I said, Mike invented this mm -hmm. data visualization library. He's just this amazing programmer and also just great uh, data visualizer. And then Sean is probably our most talented like interaction designer and a great journalist as well. But he's like really has a lot of talent for thinking about how people interact with cool. things. And so basically this this visualization shows you, it's kind of a branching path that shows you at each step what would happen if Obama or Romney wins uh, a certain state, right? So it starts at the beginning, you know, and it's like if, if Obama wins Florida, then this win, this happens, and if Romney wins, then this happens, and it kind of gives you a step-by-step -step of uh, kind of all of the options that are wow. remaining to these candidates. And this was actually, it was published a few days prior to the election, and then we updated it live during the election, so that when we got the results for uh, Florida, we were able to kind of prune those branches off of the tree and show the remaining options, right, so that people could kind of see it in real time. Did you know who's going to win before? For the official results? No, I mean, I mean, I guess to an extent. Like at some point, it's not official, but everybody kind of okay, knows. Kind of but um, yeah, but we no, we didn't have any. weren't able to like predict. And the election stories which you worked on here, because I just yeah, I uh, worked on this one. The uh, the most detailed maps you'll see from the midterm elections. So okay. this was uh, basically the the kind of interesting thing about this this was uh, amanda cox's idea which she's one of the statistics mm -hmm. gurus in the department right and basically uh and the u.s counties are the administrative division mm -hmm. below states and then precincts are a division below counties and precincts are basically the most detailed divisions at which you can get election results but there's not a formal system for reporting these results like there are with counties right so we did there was actually a lot of reporting on this piece before we even got towards uh, trying to design it or anything like that around basically trying to call all of these different states and counties and to get their precinct boundaries so that we could then fill it in with data come election night. So we, Amanda spent months doing this and I helped out a little bit in the last week or two and then we ended up designing it. Uh, I helped out making the maps and cool. then we published it the day after uh, the election which was a bit of a crazy night getting it out of the door, but, uh, but we did it. So Great. Yeah. Now, so you said that you prefer to look ahead. So what do you look ahead to right now? 
What are your next uh, projects? If you oh, can, if you can uh, say I something. Yeah, I didn't mean to make. Yeah, I, did, <laughs> I didn't mean to make myself sound like I'm, uh, you know, always very kind of future. Yeah, future oriented. <laughs> I meant look ahead, like to the uh, next week. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I think that's maybe a shortcoming of uh, journalists is that they're <laughs> they're always looking at their next deadline. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I don't actually have uh, any really crazy projects right now. I'm sort of in between. I've been helping a bit lately on breaking news, like uh, the recent crash of the German Wings flight was what I was working on just before I came here. And did you publish anything on this? Yeah, we did. We published something the day that it happened. Uh, okay. It was a bit of a pretty simple kind of 3D view of the mountains where it crashed. And then after I came here, actually, it was updated by my colleagues with a more kind of detailed chart of kind of how things went wrong. So do you think that the media outlets who do not yet embrace interactive, do they miss out on something? Are they missing out on something? Yeah. I mean, I think there are, there are certain types of stories, especially but not only data-driven stories, that are really like clarified by visual presentation and also like going hand-in-hand hand with that sometimes like interaction, right? Like there are some things that that are just easier to understand if the if the user like interacts with it themselves. So I think like in that sense if if an organization is interested in those types of stories then like yeah they probably are missing out by not like exploring those avenues of of showing things to readers but like in the general sense like I don't think there's any reason that a given story should be made into an interactive just because you can you know like there are some stories that are terrible as interactives and they should just be written stories like they have always But they been, are catchy so. and flashy and sometimes you can I believe uh, sneak in a topic which would be then if that would be in a paper you know let's say ISIS then yeah. you just go to another page whereas if you have interactive you start because you are caught by this like new approach, sure. new thing, and yeah. use, and then you the topic is maybe not your primary reason why you uh, just right. clicked on that link, but then there's so many people saying, "Wow, that's so yeah, cool!" Yeah, it's true, and that like the cool factor is definitely something we think about to some extent. But I think for our department, at least, how important we, is the cool factor? I don't. I mean, I'm finally getting something out of you. No, I think it's. I think it's like a. Uh, I think it's a bonus. It's a, for our department. We try to focus on um, providing clarity and context of the news to the reader, right? And that's like, we try not to get too carried away with like doing something just because like it's really cool. Like it's a good bonus and and it's fun sometimes. Like there's nothing wrong with providing things that are fun and somewhat like entertaining to get readers to. Like you said, get into something that maybe yeah, they mean, didn't realize was interesting before. Those technologies. So like, yeah, yeah, I mean, we definitely do stuff like that from time to time. But generally, I think we try to like make sure that anything that we do is in the service of like better explaining the news. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. My last question to you is: uh, Where do you look for for inspirations? Do you follow some other publishers who also experiment with interactive? Do you follow some bloggers or do you follow some blogs which write about those stories, or do you just focus on technology and? It, just look for new technology and then you try to find use of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't have a super like formal system myself for like finding inspiration. I know some of my colleagues will like obsessively collect okay. stuff on like Pinterest mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. uh, that inspires <laughs> them. I'm, I'm not that organized, but yeah, I definitely follow other. Uh, there's a few other departments in different media organizations doing stuff similar to what we do um, what like we the Washington Post has the mm-hmm. I think probably the second biggest graphics department after us I only mentioned that because like 
size does affect like the types of stories you can tackle well, right yeah, so like the post is able to do like really deep interactive mm -hmm. stories and they do great work there's also some like smaller papers internationally that i think mm -hmm. do do really good work like the times of oman and the south china morning post are mm -hmm. two papers that you kind of i guess i wouldn't have expected uh me neither would, would create really like it's mostly print work that mm -hmm. they do but they create these really like interesting data visualizations and stuff like that but aside from that yeah i guess it's just kind of stuff that I read and see on Twitter and things like that. There's like a whole data visualization community I'm not super involved in, but I follow some of those people and keep track of things. Well, great. Um, I'm happy that we had an opportunity to talk. Yeah. Uh, I know that you're staying a couple of days in Poland. Yeah, I am. I hope that the weather's going to get better. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it will. Fingers crossed. I'm very thankful for this uh, chat and get, allowing us to get a sneak peek into the interactive teamwork and the way you work and how you think while working on the story. So big thanks to you. Yeah, sure. No problem. Thank okay. you. Take care. Yeah. It's only the fourth episode and we already have a guest from the New York Times. I'm really curious where this journey with Spotlight Podcast will take us. Um, I'm really excited about it. So as always, uh, all the links mentioned here are in the blog post associated to this uh, podcast episode. If you have any questions to me or to Derek, please email them or use any other channels. And I have already recorded another episode and I should release it in a week, but it's a really good one. So probably I'm going to do it much sooner. So stay tuned. And if you like this show, please don't forget to rate it on iTunes, on Stitcher, elsewhere. And listen or see you in a couple, in couple days. Take care. Bye.